a novel fixation podcast. We are discussing It by Stephen King. I'm Michelle. And I'm Leslie. And we pick up today with Chapter 3, Part 3, Ben Hanscom Takes a Drink. We start out with Ben. He is a successful architect, and he stops into his favorite bar in this small town in Nebraska, much to the surprise of Ricky Lee, the bartender. Uh, Ricky notes that Ben comes in usually every Friday and Saturday night, even when he's out of state, out of the country, off the continent. He's a reliable customer, and Ricky clearly thinks very well of him. So he's surprised to see him on a weeknight. And then not only that, he doesn't want his usual beer. He instead ends up asking for a stein full of the bar whiskey, uh, which Ricky, being the nice guy that he is, uh, gives him some wild turkey, which is technically bourbon, not just whiskey, but that's okay. And (laughs) instead of whatever the house whiskey is, and then also opts not to charge him for it because Ben looks like he's having a hellacious night. And he uses this technique that he says he learned in his youth in Peru, I believe, to avoid getting drunk as he reminisces about his past and, you know, how he had forgotten about essentially his whole childhood until he got this phone call from Mike Hanlon. And as Ben continues to drink, Ricky Lee starts to really become concerned, not just about how Ben is this night, but his whole mental health now. And he starts to notice some little details like the graying of his hair and, you know, the the purple bruises under his eyes where he's starting to look, you know, just so worn out and a general sense of defeat in his demeanor. Um, ben then gives Ricky Lee these three silver dollars, which they call cartwheels. It was not some a term that I was familiar with, uh, personally. Um, and tells Ricky Lee that he wants him to pass them on to his sons. And Ricky, you know, tries to say that he can't take them, and he's like, no, you, you need to take these, give them to your kids. And then Ben just leaves, gets into his caddy, and drives off. And um, disappears into the night to catch a flight home, or so he says. And looking at him one last time, Ricky watches Ben walk out, and he starts wondering if he's seen a ghost, and or is seeing a ghost, and becomes certain that this is going to be the last time that he's ever going to see Ben Hanscom in this bar. He doesn't think that he'll ever come in again. That's so sad when you think about it. Just like, because of the way that the chapter's set up, we don't really get in Ben's head, we're in Ricky's head. So Mm -hmm. it's this man just slowly coming into acceptance that this routine in his life is gone with no real explanation. It's kind of no longer going to be in his life and he knows it too. Yeah, and it, it you see him sort of reacting to this because you can like I said you you can tell that he really thinks highly of Ben he talks about how um Ben is a customer that he can rely on to always be there not just because he tips nicely but 
he's he's almost like a touchstone in his routine like he's gonna come in he's gonna have his couple of beers he's gonna ask after ricky lee's family and actually listen to him he's gonna be polite and have good conversation and you know being a bartender in a small town that's something that ricky lee really appreciates and really seems to care about ben not just as a patron but as a person you know he has really high regard for him and you sort of see him slowly realizing that he does not know this man as well as he thought and he's seeing that touchstone in his life and his own personal routine just sort of like you said fading away and he feels like he knows he's not going to see him again and like that would be an awful thing to just you're kind of floundering wanting to help your friend while realizing your friend may not be quite as close as you thought and there's mm-hmm. nothing you can do about it. Ben and Ricky's relationship in general is just kind of interesting because, yeah, this is a guy who, well, Ben is this guy who lives in different um, parts of the country, parts of the world at different points, but he always makes it a point to go back to this bar in small town Nebraska to spend his Friday and Saturday nights with this man. But the thing is, Ricky Lee still calls Ben Mr. Hanscom. So it's not like they're super close. And I, like, I don't, like, I feel like if they were closer that Ben would be like, oh, you should call me Ben. But he seems to be okay with the level of emotional distance they have between them. I agree. And and something I just realized right now is how that is in such contrast to Richie's relationship with his travel agent. They've never met, and yet they seem fairly close. They tell jokes. They're on a first-name basis. You know, he he doesn't... Tre- he treats her more like, like a friend, somebody that he doesn't want to offend. He doesn't want to upset her. He wants to leave her happy and not concerned about him because he doesn't want to worry her. Whereas Ben, on the other hand, like you said, has this distance he's actually there with Ricky for the past, uh, I don't recall how many years he'd said it'd been, but a long, what was it, five years maybe? Eight? Something? I think so. It was, it's been a decently long enough time. Yeah, like, but not, not like, not a decade, but not just a couple years, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's been seeing him two nights a week for years sitting there talking, pouring his beer, and they're not yet on a first-name basis. That's kind of insane. It's like, when you brought up Richie, it's just interesting to think about the ways that the losers have kept the people in their lives at a distance. Like, yeah. Richie, like Richie is on a first-name basis with Carol, but the thing is, they don't hang out. They're not really friends. They're friendly but they're not friends. Whereas, like, with Ben and Ricky, they see each other all the time, but they're not on a first-name basis. They're also friendly, but not friends. And then Stanley, like, his wife had no idea about his past. Like, she knew he was... She thought he was from New York. She had no clue that he was from Maine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just... It's interesting how they haven't really ever, so far developed these full friendships since they're you yeah that is very interesting and and um yeah because stanley's wife she 
she talks about you know the things that they have and the things that they've done and where they've moved but she doesn't ever talk about like them having any close friends that they spend time with or and it it feels like they are fairly insular as a couple um and you know she has things that she does but when she's thinking about those other women that she knows she's not thinking about them as friends she's thinking about them as people to impress people to you know people that will judge her not not people she can confide in that's really interesting that's a very good point hmm. good on <laughs> us <laughs> yet another yeah. way that they're connected even though they don't remember each other or they're just starting to remember each other they have gone about their lives in different but very similar ways yeah they really have i i definitely enjoy picking out these little connections when we talk um and another one of those uh that i noticed was some of the repeated phrases and the returning memories um we had noted before i believe that both Stanley and Richie um, had said out of the blue and into the black. And then this time, both Richie and Ben recall that they used to say, you bet your fur and thought it was really cool back in the day. And um, Ben even goes so far as to to tell that to Ricky Lee. Um, And then you, I believe, noted that both Richie and Stanley in their parts make Ms. Scarlet jokes as well. Um, do you think we'll see that sort of thing going forward? To just the keep like connections between not just the losers altogether, but the chapter order? I wonder. Like that's definitely something that I could seriously see being a trend as we go on. Like some sort of vague connection between Eddie and Ben and then like I could see, I could definitely see a continuance of the way that they don't really have friends outside of, like, like they have friendly people in their lives, but they don't really have friends. Um, like, I could see how some of these, like, some of the less um, obvious connections could be there for them. More of the themes, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. it's more than just the things that you and I had already noticed. It's things that are more like in the background yeah 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 one of the things that um one of the other things that i noticed that i sort of cheated on and looked forward um is that we are now alternating how we get the perspectives of the losers in these introductions we start out with stanley and we are in his wife's point of view. And then we get Richie and we're in Richie's point of view. Uh, we are in his head. And now we have Ben. And once again, we have an outside point of view address, um, introducing us to Ben. And so I, I skipped forward a little bit and it continues on that way. Next part, we have Eddie's point of view. After that, we have an outside point of view of Beverly. And then to bring it back full circle we or to to bring it to the end we have bill's own personal point of view um and i I think that's interesting i i think it alternating it like that it's not something i noticed before and i think i wouldn't have noticed it if you hadn't um you know pointed out that we're in patty's head and how that's 
an interesting first introduction to a character, so on and so forth. And yeah, I like it. I like it too. It's a very, it's easier, or not easier, it's a different way of seeing the way that people have become who they are. Because it's very, like, not necessarily easy. It's very common for when you're doing multi-character perspectives to just focus on the character themselves. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, we're going to go to Stanley's head, and then we'll go to Richie's head, then we'll go to Ben's head, and so on and so forth. But it's like, people are more than just the way that they think. There's also the way that they're interpreted by the people around them. Definitely. Definitely. And... And something else, even when we do usually get outsider perspectives, it's usually from a perspective of one of the other main characters. And with this, I I don't know that we're going to see Stanley's wife again. I can't imagine that we're going to see Ricky Lee again, you know. So it, not only are we not in the main character's head, we're not in any main character's head. It's very yes. interesting almost a throwaway character it's kind of like a focus on a tertiary character that you wouldn't normally have thought to focus on yeah um george rr martin does something i i I don't know that i want to call it super similar but his um prologues and epilogues are their points of view are typically the only point of view for that character um, and it doesn't necessarily introduce a main character, but it does usually introduce a main theme. Um, I think that's interesting how different authors will use the point of view structure to to different effect. I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, because that's what's happening. <laughs> it, it can, I mean... I don't mind books that are all from the point of view of one person at all. You know, that's that's perfectly fine. I love the Harry Potter series, for example. Um, but I, but even yeah, it branches I, out I, like, in some of the later books. Like we, like in the beginning of the sixth and seventh book, we are not in the perspective of Harry at all. We're actually fourth. True. Book too. Like it's. They start off in something that is relevant to the situation, but it's not necessarily like you're not in Harry's head at that time. And it does, yeah. it illuminates the world a bit more. It gives you a wider idea of what kind of situation you're in. And I think that's true of um, it as well. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree, absolutely. It It's interesting because, yeah, I, like you said, it's just... There's more to a person than just how they think, how they're perceived, how people see them interacting with others. Um, definitely helps just broaden that world and make it feel a bit more real. And something I was um, just now so, thinking of, oh, gone. <laughs> no, go ahead. Um, something I was just now thinking about is um, Danley or um, Patty and uh, Ricky Lee like how they're both people who greatly admire the losers that they are interacting with. Like they see both Stanley and Ben as these incredible, amazing people. And it makes sense for both of their perspectives, but it's just kind of interesting how they kind of not exalt, but like hold them up to a higher level. But both of them don't seem to be completely satisfied with the worlds that they live or the lives that they live. Uh, 
Patty and Ricky Lee, or do you mean Ben and Stanley? Ben and Stanley, sorry. Okay, yes, I agree. No, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does It does seem that way, because there's, I mean, obviously, Patty tells us about um, how Stanley knows that it's his fault that they can't have kids, and um, a few other instances, and and Ricky Lee at one point notes that um, <clears throat> he believes that Ben is one of the loneliest persons he's ever met. And uh, e- e- yeah, even though they are both successful in other ways, they're still unhappy or feel like there is something... It, it comes across as though they feel like there is something missing. Ben is still a bit of a cipher because, you know... Patty has a long, intimate relationship with Stanley. So even though there are things that she doesn't know about him, she's also able to give us more information on how they lived and the things that he talked about and wanted. And and even just that brief insight into how he believes that he's the reason they haven't had kids, you know, that's not something that Ricky Lee can give us because he is not as close to Ben as all that. Um so Ben Ben still feels like a bit of a cipher. Uh, yeah, I was having that same thought process. Like, it took me a few reads of this portion to really feel any sort of emotion towards the chapter at all. Because, yeah, like, it's Ricky Lee's perspective. It's not Ben's. He's not um, Ben's bestie. He's not Ben's wife or husband. He is this person who greatly admires Ben and has a good, commu- like, yeah convenial relationship with um ben but he like the relationship he has not a deep like there's no i don't know where i was going with this (laughs) Uh, there's no intimacy there they don't have conversations about they're not philosophical together they're not talking about the meaning of life or their plans hell we don't even know if ben has dated anyone is dating anyone ever had a long-term relationship we don't know any of that about him one of my uh my favorite scene i think well do we want to do the top moments yet or should we We should we you could go to favorite scene that's fine okay so one of one of my top moments my favorite scene is um ricky is remembering that there's this the woman that came into the bar and she's apparently been eyeballing ben and shows her interest and Ricky's like, yeah, meh, 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 blah, blah, blah. He's a nice guy. And he thinks to himself that, you know, she's clearly someone from back East and she, um, you know, is all done up and fancy and ready to be out of this small town. And, and so she, she says something else about Ben and Ricky's thought is what I mentioned earlier, that he is one of the loneliest guys that he's ever known. But he wouldn't tell her that because she is eyeballing him like he's some new and amusing sort of life form. And Ricky Lee is just like, no, nope, I'm not letting her go near my guy. And uh, and that's all we get. That's probably about as much personal information as we get about Ben. And it's not even about Ben. It's about this woman who's interested in him. Um, Ricky says that Ben comes into the the bar Fridays and Saturdays. 
doesn't ever say if he, you know, doesn't say that he comes in with people. He doesn't sit with friends. He sits at the bar and he talks to Ricky Lee. And then he leaves alone. Like he never tries yep. to pick up anybody. Nope. So, you know, I he could have had a serious relationship back in the day. We don't know. You know, we we don't we don't know what his goals are. We know that uh he's very good at his job and that he's excited about this new project and that he feels it's very um controversial risky isn't quite con- yeah maybe controversial it's going to be very difficult but if he pulls it off it'll be amazing mm-hmm. you know um but like that that's it we just don't get to know this man and i do um, wonder which this is a little bit spoilery but i don't feel like it's major spoilery but i wonder if perhaps the reason we don't go any to deep dives with Ben's romantic relationships is because of um, how how it ends. <laughs> I was thinking to keep it non-spoilery. <laughs> I was thinking like things from his past that like maybe gotcha. he's never quite gotten over. Okay, okay, that could hmm that I like that, especially if you add the um amnesia to it because then you would have a man who as a boy never got over this thing and because his memory is blocked he could have these feelings of not being able to connect to other people and not really understand why or be able to deal with it Ooh, i like it and not just this situation but all of his friends in general like maybe the reason that he's never um explored or has as far as we know, doesn't have any deep relationships with friendship wise is because nothing will ever compare to the friendship he has with um, or had with his friends growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it. I definitely feel like um, part of the turtles influence would be keeping them from forming attachments so that they can essentially be open to take the risk of fighting it. Um, and that, that kind of ties into uh, going back to George R. R. Martin and A Song of Ice and Fire with the Night's Watch. Um, one of the things that you learn is they, you know, vow to have no families, vow, not quite a vow of celibacy, but they're not going to get married. They're not going to have kids. So almost amounts to the same thing, supposedly. Uh, and it's so that, you know, when they have to fight, they're not torn between fighting and going to try to save their loved ones. And so I, I could see that general principle being applied to the losers if we see them as the human avatars for the turtle to try to fight against it. Interesting. I could also be talking out of no, my ass here, so there you have it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that, that's definitely true, and we've discussed it in previous podcasts. How we think that part of reasons that like none of losers have children is because they don't want uh, the turtle didn't want them to have to leave those children behind. So it's like maybe it extends even more so than that. Like they have romantic, or like some of them have romantic relationships, but they don't have any deep friendships. Um, and like other than Stanley, like eh, so far. Other than Stanley, it seems like the romantic relationships we've seen are kind of jaded. Well, no, we haven't seen any romantic relationships, but I will scratch that out. Um, 
Yeah, none of them... I, I mean, Stanley seems to have a good relationship with his wife. But at the same time... um she does also feel like a bit of an outsider. And and that could be because she was so surprised by his suicide. Um, I, I, I could definitely see that being a factor. Um, but yeah, it, it there is definitely um, a lack of close ties to the people we've seen so far. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering the same thing. Like, do we... Because I, I remember some details without getting spoilery. I do wonder if we see any healthy, really healthy relationships or if Patty's and Stanley's might be the healthiest we see. That's definitely um, something that we should keep an eye out for. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so speaking about healthy and relationships and Ben being a loner and being a very lonely person, do you think that he falls into the category of depressed with Richie and uh, Stanley? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? It's a very hard thing to decide because like, we don't really get a whole lot of his perspective because it's just this conversation with a casual acquaintance and they don't have any deep ties however like as i've been taking more notes and as we've been discussing it i'm starting to lean towards yes again <laughs> yeah. yeah um there's this quote that i put in my favorite quotes that i feel like could apply um you pay for what you get you own what you pay for and sooner or later whatever you own comes back home um Hmm. Okay. I do like that quote. It is a really good quote. And that's something that Ben says to Ricky Lee right before he leaves the bar. And I feel like he's pretty much saying, I have this life that like I haven't earned. But the thing is he's a successful architect, so he would have had to, you know, built it. It's not like he like stole from a bunch of homeless mothers. (laughs) He's like clearly worked very hard to get where he is, but he still feels like he owes more to, or he owes for what he has. There is a term for that, and I forget what it is, um, where you kind of feel like a fraud in whatever you're doing, even though you're not. It's like false something or other. Shit. I, I, yes, I definitely think that could be happening with the losers where once they start remembering they start feeling like their achievements were fake or they were false even though they were not the stanleys are a little his feel a little more luck dependent just because we know his wife felt Mm -hmm. that way um but even then i i do think that while hard work and knowledge and skill has to be a part of being successful uh, luck definitely has its place in anyone's life oh i absolutely um, agree <laughs> like i think that's one of the hardest lessons that i've learned is like you can grow up you can like work the hardest you can but like sometimes like if you don't have luck on your side you're not going to get very far yeah yeah and ah. the, it seems like ben is aware of that like he's aware of how lucky he has been to rise so high in his career and get what he has but now he feels like he did like it seems like there's this feeling of not deserving it and now he has to pay for what he's gotten okay okay i lean more towards your first assessment that we don't quite have enough information yet um and that it's a little hard to discern i do like your argument 
I, I would, I think I would want to wait until hopefully we get a bit more information on him because I feel like that could, that could be a symptom of his depression. It could also be just his reaction. A new feeling. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I think ultimately that's probably what it is, but I feel like as, as an argument for depression, like you see some veins but not necessarily see the whole spiel like i don't think it's as obvious as with stanley and richie that that's the case okay um so moving on from that a little bit uh we briefly touched on the fact that ben gave those silver dollars away did yeah we mentioned that and go deep into that Um, So, um, when I was coming up with questions we could discuss for the chapter, one of the ones that we, well, yeah, one of the ones that we came up with was, why did Ben give the silver dollars away? Because he, he remembers enough to know that they were used to defeat it last time. So what made him give the dollars to Ricky to give to him? Okay. Um, I think part of it is acceptance that he will not have his own children to pass them on to okay and that also makes it sort of sad because we've been talking about how he and ricky lee are clearly not very close but at the same time this is the man whose children he decided to pass these tokens on to like i would go as far as to say this is probably the the closest relationship in ben's life so for him this is probably what makes the most sense and initially when you said that, or when I saw that in the notes, I was kind of like, well, I don't think we really know enough about that. But now, like, yeah, no, you're, you are so right on. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can fully get behind that. Um, because you don't, like, these, these silver dollars were things that his father passed on to him. They're from the 1920s, I think, early 1920s, early to mid. So back in the 80s that would have been worth something they'd still be worth something now like it's not something you just go oh here have these things you know um so that's yeah that's a pretty big deal um i don't necessarily think that ben remembers everything that happened with it he he has a line where he does say he remembers what they did with the other one um but then he also says that he can't recall if it was bill or beverly that saved his life so i'm i'm kind of wondering if at this point he remembers part of the plan for it that happened in the past but you know enough to freak him the fuck out but not enough to either either not enough to gauge the importance or almost like he is maybe giving them away as a sort of denial like no things can't be that bad i'm not going to need these i'm going to give these to you because if i don't have them clearly i don't need them type of circular poor Mm -hmm. logic (laughs) i do wonder if it's either that just the sense of denial that he won't need them or if it's like one of the last things that connects but that he feels a strong connection to emotionally and maybe that's why he gives them away, is to prepare himself emotionally to go back. Oh, interesting. Because, I mean, he's rich, he has a Cadillac, he has his own plane, he clearly has a lot of stuff. <laughs> so it's like, 
maybe this is one of the few things in his life that he has no connection. True, true. Okay. Yeah, I could I could get behind that. I could see that. I like it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, speaking about his memory, how and when do you think that the losers forget? Because they they've clearly all forgotten shit. Although Stanley was starting to remember little bits and pieces and telling his wife about some things. He he remembered Bill, you know. Um, so how, when do you think that they start to forget? And also, like, the fuck? How, do their parents not remember anything? Do they, you know, do their friends not talk about it? Is it something where the, you know, they kept the memories as they were going through middle school and they slowly started to fade? Or, you know, do, do their significant others not notice that they don't talk about being a kid like how do you think that works so we get a little bit of this later on in the chapter um where one of the losers pretty much has told their significant other about their past but it's more of a in a factual way it's like when you're at a doctor's office and you're writing out like weight blah 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 height blah 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 like it's just a fact like it's not necessarily anything you have any emotional connection okay. so okay. just based so on like, that losers okay idea. so okay. based so on you that think it would, it... <laughs> we're did that sorry we're not doing well here, so go <laughs> i was gonna say so um it would be like you know like noting that you have asthma but not thinking about any of the asthma attacks that you had sort of thing or like you had the flu when you were five but you're not actually thinking about how you felt or what you did when you had the flu exactly it'd be like with Richie in the previous chapter he knew he used to wear glasses but I don't think he ever thought emotionally about oh yeah I wore these glasses and these bullies made my life a living hell like it was very much just okay oh I wore glasses or in Ben's case, oh, I used to be fat, but he didn't think about the torture that came with being fat. Like, I feel like it's just, okay. these are, like, demographical information that you're writing down or that's in your head, but you're not okay. necessarily connected. I, I think I could deal with that. I think I could deal with that. I remember that Bill, we get, in the mini series. we get, I feel like we really see Bill remembering, um... Whereas we see Richie trying desperately not to remember, and we have an outside perspective of both um, Ben's and Stanley's memories coming back. So it's, it's not quite as discernible yet. Hey everybody, sorry we're having more technical issues. I feel like that should be the code name of this podcast. Um, <laughs> to be fair, we are pretty new at it and you know, hopefully we're we're getting better. We are attempting to get better at least each time. We are trying and that is what counts. I yes. <laughs> But rather than going back to what we were talking about before, we decided we'll just press on with um, the rest of our discussion. Um, so I had another question to propose. Um, so um, Ben is pretty well off financially. He has his own plane. He has his own car. He apparently can just get whatever he wants. 
But for some reason, he keeps going to this little bar in the small town in Nebraska, even if he's across the world at the time. So what do you think it is about this bar that brings him back? Um, I think because it's, it's where he can go when he is home. Um, and with him coming across as such, whether it's loneliness or just him being a loner type of person, um, or heck, maybe he's just shy, <laughs> you know, uh, having this one place be part of his routine where he has Ricky Lee that knows him. He has Annie that knows him, you know, he can just go in and be himself and go about his day and not, you know, he doesn't have to worry about interacting with other people or, or new people. So I, I think part of it is just the routine of it. The, the fact that it's where he can go when he's home. And so rather than trying to find a new place to not be bothered, he just says, fuck it. I can go home. I'm going to do that. Yeah. It's a good enough reason as any, <laughs> I don't know. What, like, uh, I I get the idea of like wanting to go home, but I guess when I feel like when you have as much as he does, when home can be anywhere, why is this home? But I guess that goes into a much deeper discussion of what makes a place home and all that. So true. Yeah. True. Um. I, I keep thinking of the Cheers theme song. You want to go where everybody knows your name? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you you you've somehow stumbled upon this one place that, like, I've decided this is my place. These are my people. I like the beer. I'm good. I, but yeah, I it I don't know. I really, I really don't feel like we know him well enough yet to determine his his real motivations for why um something something we didn't really touch on that seems to almost contradict how ricky lee sees him ricky lee says a couple of times that ben has more than a touch of the extravagant texan in him um and when I think extravagant Texan, I tend to think somebody with a big personality. Um, I don't know why. I, I Well, I do know why. A couple of my roommates when I was in my mid-20s were from Texas. And they were just very... Not loud people, but they they had big personalities you know they they had ideas and they talked about them and not exaggerated but you know they they just i don't know how to say it any other way than just a big personality i i think of somebody who's not necessarily the center of attention but you know they're also definitely not going to be a wallflower 
and the way that we have been discussing Ben and the way that Ricky Lee thinks of him as being a loner, I feel like he comes across as more of a wallflower, but that that seems really not to mesh with my idea of an extravagant Texan. I don't know. Well, I think when I think of extravagant Texan or Texans in general, and I like I was thinking more of a like fashion sense. Like, because he wears cowboy boots and, like, okay. he has, like, I don't know. I I imagined his shirt to be, like, one of those plaid numbers that are in style right now. And probably some, like, <laughs> nice boot-cut jeans. And also, like, my experience of Texans, which is limited, um, it seems like they are big, but it's also friendly kind of big. True, yes, but, yes. Texan feels like like every Texan I know is just uh everybody like they want to be everybody's friend like they they're very open and um chatty and polite okay okay here's some positive stereotypes for you Texans are polite people Yeah, my aunt lived in Texas for a while, but she's from Indiana, so that doesn't quite count. (laughs) I could see Ricky Lee seeing Ben as Texan based on the fashion and based on his friendly demeanor. Like, when I heard the, like, Texan line, it took me a minute because I was like, wait, no, he's from New England. Why would you think he's from Texas? And then, like, I was even more confused because, like, okay, maybe he's identifying with where he went to college. It's like, no, he went to college in California. So, ah, I don't understand. But it's like, if it's on a fashionable and, like, demeanor level, I guess I could see it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I could do that. I could get with that. All right. So did do you think that, like, his friendship with Ricky Lee has anything to do with him staying or or continuing to go with that bar um i think it's possible like it's like you were saying with the whole cheers thing everybody knows your name it i think it's he has a good relationship with ricky and i think that that excuse me can be a motivating factor into him wanting to keep coming around um and i mean it it seems like it's never insanely busy there. Like, I mean, he probably does pretty well, but it doesn't seem like he, like the bar is super packed at any point since Ricky can spend most of his time talking to Ben. True. True. He makes the comment that there's, it's like any Monday night at a bar or Tuesday weeknight at a bar, you know, fewer than 20 people. Annie's also there. He's, you know, not that busy. All right. All right. So, uh, what would you say, moving on from that, was the grossest or scariest moment in this portion? It was very hard with this portion because it was, like, it's so short. And, like, it's, like, it's even more um, bottled than the Richie episode, or the Richie portion, where... uh, 
Doing all right over there? <laughs> yeah, Simba is like crawling up a wall, literally. <laughs> Simba would be her kitten. Uh, for any listeners who don't know, he is adorable, he is but still very much a ball of energy. <laughs> he he hasn't reached the age where he just naps most of the day uh, and walks around disdainful the rest of it. He's he's still getting into everything and enjoying his little kitten ways. And whining now because I kicked him out. (laughs) (laughs) Poor little guy. What was I saying before? Um, Oh, talking about my closest moment. Um, Yes. So, yeah, it's very difficult to um, decide on that sort of thing. Because, yeah, nothing blatantly gross or scary happens. And it's a more, even more compact episode or I keep wanting to call it episodes um, portion than <laughs> Richie's was because Richie interacted with multiple people and he went into multiple rooms and did a lot of things. Whereas this is just Ben talking to Ricky drinking. Like there's nothing else. <laughs> but I Very true. Find Very something true. that is kind of scary, even in the like abstract sense. Um. It's when uh, Ben's leaving and Ricky is really scared for him because he know like he's just down to Holstein of whiskey and he's getting ready to take off and Ricky Lee tries to stop him, but when Ben turns around, it scares the hell out of Ricky because he's more or less convinced that Ben is not actually there, that he's an apparition and he's witnessing. Ben's ghost and becomes certain in that moment that Ben's dead somewhere that that was mine as well um the description of Ben turning around and you know yeah it it was probably the the most out there supernatural weird thing that happened um and an interesting connection that hearing you talk about it just made me think of was how richie thinks that he's already passed away but for some reason he's been allowed to uh say goodbye and like plan his own funeral and such and then stanley's Um, actually dead yes yes so it's that isn't kind of they're all dying but it's Stanley physically died and Richie is convinced that he's about to die and it seems as though Ben has kind of spiritually died at least to Ricky Lee. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely an interesting theme to keep an eye on. I dig it. All right. How about your favorite character? Um, I was going to ask you what your top moment was. (laughs) Oh! Well, I I kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, uh, just Ricky, Ricky talking about the uh, or being really overprotective of Ben with that that East Coast lady. Um, one of my other fun things about this chapter was noticing the little moments where Stephen King anthropomorphized the barware a little bit. Um, 
when Ricky Lee is pouring the whiskey into that beer stein, um, it's it's described as, you know, the, the bottle chattered against the glass or something. And then uh, when Ben turns around, Ricky is like so taken aback that he knocks into the glassware behind him. And it's described as the glassware gossips briefly. And it's, I, I don't know, it's just a cute little thing. I liked it. That was really nice when you think about it. Just like, just thinking of the idea of glassware, like chattering, like that's a nice way to describe just rustling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really liked it. Um, but yeah, did you have any top moments? Um, honestly, I don't think so. I think this portion has probably been the hardest for me, like to get attached to emotional wise. So there's like, okay, I really liked the ghost moment, but. I didn't really have any other top moments that I could point out and be like, yes, that that moment made me really interested in this chapter. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. What about favorite character? Oh, I loved Annie, the bar waitress. She was just hilarious to me. <laughs> like she's clearly like that sassy woman who you're just used to like, being there and like telling you how it is and just being like well you're making a fool of yourself or <laughs> something like that i yes i i approved of her sort of no nonsense like no don't don't do that why would you do that don't do that go fix it now it was nice i agree i don't i i couldn't really decide on a favorite character um I really liked Ben. I liked how uh, how you described his demeanor. He he was interested in Ricky Lee. He asked about his kids and his family. You know, he just came across as a very nice guy, without the bad connotations of that. Yes, not nice guy um, quotes. He actually seemed like a nice guy. <laughs> Yeah. And then I, I also really appreciated Ricky Lee. I appreciated, you know, um, his general thoughts and attitude towards Ben. You know, he treated him like a person and not just like a rich patron that he could try to get money out of. You know, he seemed concerned about Ben and his life and what was going on. And, you know, it's just having worked not. I haven't worked in food service or at a bar, but I've worked in retail where I've had regular customers and such. And so it's nice to just see a little bit of that type of relationship reflected in, in media. Cause that you do, you, you build a relationship with your regular customers and you get to know them a little bit and, you know, miss their faces when they don't come in. Yeah. Okay. I think that's about all I got. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. We, I've got a couple of favorite quotes. Um, okay. Um, one of them is from Annie, um, which I guess I can <laughs> say it after the original one. Um, so this one's not a quote by anybody. This is just a quote from the chapter. Um, Ricky Lee's father once told him that if a man is in his right mind, you brought him what he paid for, be it piss or poison. Which... It's one of those things where I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. 
but it's a very like okay that's and i i guess that's an interesting thing to tell your son especially your son that's gonna grow up to own a business (laughs) um well i mean on on the one hand it's sort of a you know hey you let this person make their own choices that that is not your business what their choice is and i can understand that to a point um I, if you feel like someone's about to kill themselves, I think that's sort of, or, or not necessarily kill themselves, but if you think, you know, like Ricky Lee does, that this could very well end with Ben getting into a car crash or something like that, then, you know, I would probably lean towards uh, give him a few shots, but don't pour all that whiskey into mm-hmm. a stein. And, you know, but don't don't tell the man he can't have any whiskey. Yeah, just be like, how about I pour you a couple steins, or a couple of shots, and you tell me how you feel after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, right. the other quote is from Annie, which is in response to the whole, if you're, if a man's in his right mind quote, and Annie's just like, your daddy didn't have the brains, God gave a gopher. <laughs> <laughs> That is quite nice. It's, it's really funny because you're just kind of like, um, like it kind of takes me like it kind of let's see, trying to find the words. Um, it like <laughs> it surprises me every time. Like it's just kind of like <laughs> kind of like okay, that's a really funny thing to say to you. One, your boss. <laughs> Like, to just a random person about their father. (laughs) I don't think I realized that Ricky Lee was the owner. I think that it's implied. Like, I don't... Now you have me questioning. Well, no, no. There's no reason to think that he's not, especially in a small town like that. Um... I just hadn't thought of him as being the owner. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> he comes, I think he seems to me, even though he's been working there for clearly long enough to have been, yeah, so I just never really factored in his age with the fact that he has three boys and he's been working there with Ben as a patron for for nine years or so. <laughs> and I've been imagining him as a kind of younger kid. <laughs> so that's probably yeah, why. Yeah, like, I've been imagining Not... this, like, I've been probably imagining Ricky as a man in his 50s, um, maybe, like, late 50s, early 60s, tops. And then, of course, Ben's supposed to be, like, 38 or 40, so. That makes sense. That makes sense. I've been picturing him as, like, 20s for no reason. I'm in Hollywood. (laughs) I have been... I have been ignoring the context clues. Um, Because, yeah, if I think about it, no, he should definitely be older. Uh... But yeah, I, I will also blame it on the fact that I've only known two Rickies in my life and um, like that, that I have personally known. And one was when I was in high school. And so even though clearly he would be my age, I 
only have high school memories of a guy named Ricky. And then I just recently started working with a Ricky, and he is early 20s somewhere in there. I'll blame it on that. (laughs) There was this Ricky that was my mom's mechanic friend who was in his 60s, so that's kind of who I think of when I think of Ricky. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that makes more sense. Yeah. And yeah, that does make Annie quite a bit sassier, too. <laughs> I, I just adored her, and I think part of it is the audiobook, just the way that the guy does the voices for her. But, like, even when I read it now, I'm just like, oh, Annie, you scamp. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I would say my favorite quote would be, um, it's a thought that Ricky Lee has about Ben. When you get big enough to be noticed, you bit, you got big and blah, blah, blah. I screwed that up. <laughs> All good. All right. Start again. <laughs> <laughs> when you got big enough to be noticed, you got big enough to come gunning for. And, um. Because he, when Ben walks in, he's thinking, like, maybe he's got a touch of stage fright from this next big project that he has. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just, I don't know, interesting little snippet that seems, you know, like good life advice. It's, it's just a true thing. When you get known, you, you know, you tend to get... Uh, what's that word scrutinized you tend to get scrutinized more and some people are jealous and humans have a tendency to be really judgy so you know they will just judge you because it's what they do and also they'll see you as a benchmark that needs to be surpassed so i don't know just kind of like an interesting quote like it's definitely one that when you put it in the notes i was like "Ooh, that's actually a really good quote um (laughs) like just it's true whenever you it seems like in the world whenever there's a point in your life where you've got something there's somebody who wants to compete with you for it yes whether it's the literal thing or have a thing of their own yeah the the one-upmanship yay and i (laughs) definitely like it seems like it's a part of human nature at least most human natures like we feel the need to be on the same page if not a further down in the book page (laughs) as people (laughs) yes yes yeah not necessarily the best thing but definitely Definitely in our society, anyway. I was, like, thinking to uh, myself for a second, I was like, well, I don't have that. But then I was just like, except there are totally times when I'm like, oh, I want, like, this person has this thing. I want that thing. (laughs) I must have the thing and then tell them about the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's like, you got that cool thing? I want that cool thing. Hey, I got that cool thing, too! Aren't we cool? Oh, look at that person. They don't have the cool thing. They should get the cool thing. And then we can all feel cool, but wait, I don't want them to be as cool as me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, high school in a nutshell. High school never ends. (laughs) That is 
is something it's that true. I've come to realize as I've gotten older is you're not in the physical room anymore. You're not as bogged down by the emotional hormones, but you're still going to be angsty. You're still going to be in a like like a war of some kind with someone about something and it's just like that's just the world (laughs) yep yep we need conflict we thrive on it and and we as in humans in general not you know us two in particular i'm i don't really like conflict although i do like hearing other people's drama so there you go um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I I definitely am guilty of that. Yeah. Did you have any um, other quotes? No, I said one of the other ones earlier, so I think that that's it for us. All right. I think we're maybe possibly wrapping it up a bit earlier than usual. We are trying to be more conscious of the time that we spend. So bear with us as we uh work on trimming down our our commentary but thank you so much for listening to us no matter if it's like an hour and a half or five hours which you know we we could definitely (laughs) go on for five hours about certain things but we appreciate when you listen to us we could Yes, so if you would like to keep up with us, feel free to follow us on Twitter at novel underscore fixation, or you can join our Facebook group at a novel fixation. Um, next time, we will continue with chapter three with Betty Casprack takes his medicine. Until then, float on. Float on.